podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Pretty pumped for this, actually. Hello, so we're back. Hooray! Yes, it's time for us to return to the raison d'etre, as fantasy football is slated to return alongside the Premier League on June the 17th. Obviously, we love doing our Sunday Die Die stuff and the lockdown pods, but really what we've been doing is tidying ourselves over until FPL comes back, and I know we're really excited, really pumped, as the kids say, to get going. Joined today, of course, by the Rory Faria and Steve Holland, my Mourinho, in Nick and Anthony. Nick, I'll let you guys guess who I think he is. Uh, you are right. I'm good, thank you. <laughs> what do you think? I'm the attack dog, Rui Faria. <laughs> Maybe. Um, the Premier League's back and by extension, fancy Premier League's back. So um, we're still kind of waiting for the sites for the open time recording and the full fixture schedule. But there's, there's plenty of stuff to talk about and uh, stuff for us to, to sink our teeth into. Um, we are Who Got The Assist. Um, you're on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL main account for Tom um, at WGTA underscore Nick. Um, at, at FPL Stag and we're also on Instagram if you're on Insta make sure to give us a follow wgta.fpl so uh, Anthony how are you doing you're back in Ireland now right uh, what's on the agenda for today yeah so just back home as of uh, Saturday so it's uh, lovely to be back in Ireland at this stage um, I was had the surreal experience of going through empty departures areas and being on a plane with just 25 others even though it was a regular commercial Ryanair flight like everyone's ever been on really really severe surreal experience doing all that with a mask on but now I've got two weeks of splendid self-isolation in Cork to look forward to no better place to be stuck I'd say uh, but yes yes indeed we, the countdown has begun towards June 17th and we're going to get our thinking caps on to discuss different aspects of the return of the football so I guess the Bundesliga has given us with a glimpse behind the curtain at what football will look like already and that has raised questions about the twin towers in FPL selection form and fixtures on top of that then there's a truncated and unusual pre-season that's going on at the moment and of course I'm using air quotes for pre-season but in terms of the time since a ball was last kicked, you're talking three months. So that's a pretty standard summer break usually. And we have a chock schedule that's going to be nine game weeks in six weeks for the season to finish in August. So there's going to be huge ramifications for the bane of FPL managers, R&R, which is, of course, rotation and resting. So we have all that to consider. And how will Pep deal with having five attempts to get rid of Sergio Aguero off the pitch before the 60 minutes? It's going to be pretty difficult. So lots to consider and lots to chew. On. <laughs> Definitely, there's going to be lots of XX warming up. OMG, is this the end of Aguero? Um, <laughs> and in time from 45 minutes onwards, isn't it? With Pep, we will get into that in just a minute. So, as Anthony just summarised, yes, it is the return of FPL, and this is three things to think about as the fans football returns. It's his current form in the bin, his home advantage in the bin, um, it's injuries and rotation galore. And it's finding value in limited slash threatened minutes. Uh, we're going to talk about the teams and players in more detail next week. Um, that's because there's no fixtures yet. It's still not been announced exactly how that's going to shake out. Um, we'll talk about how FPL have worded their announcement shortly. But this one becomes more of like a broad brushstroke of things to watch out for ahead of the return of fantasy football rather than going into the weeds of players and team specific. Rest assured, that will come. And obvious caveats apply, of course. Uh, more important things going on in the world, we know that hashtag Black Lives Matter. But we're here to talk about FPL, and that's what we're going to do, as Nick used to say at the beginning of uh, our podcast for long-term listeners. So let's get into it. The news section, big news from FPL was on Saturday the 30th, an announcement, and a very, uh, well, a very cautiously worded one at that, wasn't it? 
Yeah, so we know that there's going to be a double game week at least. I think there were concerns from a, a few people around that FPL wasn't even going to be able to come back at all. So it is great to see some sort of official update that FPL is back. But the website's not ready. Um, we know there's going to be a, a double game week at the start with Aston Villa versus Sheffield United and Manchester City uh, versus um, Arsenal playing at the beginning of the week and um, scheduled to take place on the 17th of June, uh, which instance is my uh, wedding anniversary as well. But yeah, so the FPL officially announced that once the date is confirmed and the remaining fixtures have been announced, our plan is to resume FPL with additional multiple game weeks created to reflect the remaining 92 fixtures. Um, And they've also said that we'd like to remind managers that any chips you retain at present, i.e. triple captain, bench boost, free hits and all the wildcard, would remain available for you in accordance with the game rules for these game weeks. Additional multiple game weeks, I think that that could mean anything effectively uh, that could be that they have you know, game weeks 39 to 48 they could bundle game weeks together into double game weeks it, we just don't know and it's interesting as well to see the fact that there's football scheduled to be every single day how they package them together as game weeks whether it is kind of saturday to monday is one lot and tuesday to thursday is the next i, I just don't know how that's going to work and um, the other thing to kind of note and the big outtake a lot of people did take from this um is that there was doesn't seem to be a welcome wild card there's been hours of arguments on this online that i've been laughing at frankly rather than taking part in um but i mean we did have a question on this and i think it's worth just mentioning quickly before we move on to the three things so simon and gower chairman asks do you think that the integrity of the game is in doubt if fpl opted for a strategy um such as allowing unlimited changes stag as a man who uh, was traveling so uh, probably out of this argument a little bit what, what's your view on this yeah, my, my only role in the whole argument was to suggest that the whole FPL season should be canned and I got pillared for that. So um, no, I wasn't involved in the wildcard discussion too much. But no, I guess if I was pro canning the season, it would be pretty ridiculous for me to be um, anti the welcome wildcard as we're calling it. I think that in truth, the season has changed so much that the integrity of it from an FPL standpoint, especially because we don't know the fixtures or anything, like the teams were set up for a certain run of fixtures. They're no longer set up for that now because we, we don't know how it's all going to look so of course you're going to need to make changes and the wild card only at least should allow people to get ready again and at the end of the day if you think that you deserve your rank and you deserve to be doing well this season and that you have the ability and you weren't just being lucky then you shouldn't feel too aggrieved with having the chance to fix your team and be able to beat the living daylights out of everyone over the course of nine game weeks especially if you held your chips and you were being careful earlier in the season so i think that Overall, no, I don't think the integrity of the game is in any way in doubt if there were extra trips. And personally, I really think they should have given us the wild card at minimum. Oh, interesting. Nick, uh, where do you stand on this? So I actually lean on the side that um, sort of giving out a free wild card will, will lend at a little bit of an unfair advantage. And um, it'd probably be best to just give everyone the, the two free transfers that they'd likely to accrue over the end of game week 38. Um, I mean, from my perspective, many managers like myself have been sitting on their wild cards and free hits and have been holding them um, for that season close. Other managers like yourselves um, used the wild card early. And I think, um, from my perspective, it, it would give an advantage um, going into the close season compared to managers like myself who still have their chips active. So I think, I can't remember the game weeks, but I know that you guys used them um, a lot earlier, about sort of six some game weeks uh, prior to the end of the season. So they had plenty of time to sort of work with a refreshed squad whilst people like myself was you know saving them for later game weeks now if you guys were to have that extra wild card or to be gifted a a new wild card like myself and then I'd still have one in the in the arsenal that I wouldn't necessarily 
want to use straight away or even need to use if, if I now... If we were gifted that, Nick, would that just not mean that you'd still have your wild card to destroy us on a double game week or whatever with you know superior picking, if that makes sense? Well, like, I don't even know if there are going to, to be double game weeks. This is place. true. Okay. Um, so I think it's like we all have a wild card and then I just end up with another one. And even I was actually looking at my team and I don't even think I need a wild card. I'm quite, I'm quite set up for this uh, double game week with my double Arsenal, my double Sheffield United, Manchester City coverage as well. So like, I don't, to be honest, I mean, as I said, we didn't want to have an argument about this and because there's obviously lots of chat on Twitter. I just don't think it's necessary. And I think that, you know, many managers should um, already be prepared and a couple of free transfers um, should be enough to, to get yourself ready. But what they're prepared for is something totally different to what we're having. Um, well, we, we already knew that these fixtures were going to be coming up anyway. So <laughs> it's the same fixtures. It's just uh, maybe a different personnel. Who knows? <laughs> But we, we don't know. It's like a start of the season anyway. So who knows? The form isn't going on to other questions, but the form's out the window. Yeah, so it's, I think there's certainly lots of arguments on this. I can see both sides. And actually, at the risk of sound like I've got a poll stuck up my ass. I'm very centrist on this one. So I can see both sides. The fairness for the managers that have kept theirs and the fun. I think that's where Stag's coming from here. It's the fun for those who haven't. And fundamentally, the marketeer in me takes over a bit when I look at this. Because, I mean, Stag's summer of FPL hasn't happened um, to the delight of many commenters on Twitter. Uh, but, you know, it has been mentioned a lot of times that the fun factor is really important. It's a huge marketing weapon for FPL to get the target market engaged. Guess what? The target market is not us nerds. It's your casuals and a double game week plus a wild card. Like That's such marketing gold for them, I think. And I, I, I'm a bit surprised that they haven't said anything yet, but because of how like how carefully worded the statement was, it didn't rule out that possibility either. And note that the Bundesliga, for example, when FBL came back, also gave unlimited transfers when you came in. And it didn't really impact things too much from what I hear of the hardcore anyway on Twitter. I can see why people might say, oh, yeah, you've, you've had a bad season. So you would say you can have an extra wild card. Yeah, but I mean, maybe it's nomenclature because it's not like I've got two wild cards in the pocket. It's not a wild card that you can keep. You've got to use those imminent chances when you get straight in. Mm, I don't know. I don't mind that. I definitely wouldn't want them to reissue chips. I think that that would be like too far. I am on the side of fun, but organized fun. Uh, those kind of like David Brent. I think that that's kind of the way I look at it. Um, so yeah, unlimited transfers. I don't mind if that comes in because I think it's fine. There's, uh, and as Stag said, like you know, you, you guys who have sat on your wild card, you still can get another wild card. You just got a little bit of time to refresh. But yeah, again, I can see where Nick's coming from too. Basically, I don't care. If, if it comes back um, with a wild card, great. If it doesn't, great, because it's still back. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it was an interesting diversion uh, for a short time on FL Twitter. I, I loved it, the fact that the first thing that those people did after 11, 12 weeks away was to come on and start arguing with each other. Like, that's just so FL Twitter in a nutshell. You just use your wild card already. <laughs> <laughs> hilarious absolutely hilarious right speaking of uh well speaking of hilarity jocularity and fun and um, let's talk about the three things um that are watch outs for our managers as the competition resumes the first thing to mention is home advantage and current form both going into the bin is this the death of home advantage so uh interestingly um we're going to be looking at the bundesliga a little bit and to this point angus mcphail asked if we learned anything from G- the german top tiers return and adam pritchard asked if those playing fbl will have any advantage now when i was speaking to neil murray 
quite a while ago about the return of the Bundesliga. We did it was a really cool Fred, of course, did the Fred. Um, and one of the things we did pick up on was the kind of this home advantage heuristic and how that's going to be really challenged. So when we make decisions in FPL, a lot of the time we look at the home player and favour them unconsciously over the away player. Although recent times, you know, stuff like Adam Hopcroft saying the away teams actually get more space, let's challenge that a little bit. But you know, without this frosty crowd and without kind of that element which could, you know, impact decisions, you know, make other teams play differently. I mean, could that have an impact on, on our decision making? What do you guys reckon? So I think if you look at what's gone on in the Bundesliga, especially like the, the evidence is pretty stark that without having fans in the stadium and whatever else that goes with it of having a home game, teams are really, really, really dropping off at home. And up, and, up until now we've, in the Bundesliga, we've seen that basically what you'd expect is kind of approximately 40% of games resulting in home wins. And that's cutting down by about half. So pretty substantial change in you know the bias that we would give to your standard home player and your away teams especially. It's actually the away teams are winning. It's not just that the games are becoming draws because teams are playing less intensely or whatever. It's actually that the away teams are coming away with wins quite consistently. Like even in the, fi- the most recent weekend of FBL action, you're talking about nearly half the games where the away team has won again. That's it's it's pretty remarkable how much things have changed and that's before you even get into the talk of sharpness and number of clean sheets and things we've got this kind of inherent bias um, amongst ourselves that we will we see that big h in brackets and um, and think right he's, he's the perfect person to to captain for instance and you know these sort of decisions do need to have the, the reality that there's no crowds in in anymore so you know why not captain a player who's um, got an away fixture because it means it doesn't mean anything in the same way as, as much as you know the, the chairman of Brighton would like to think that the Amex is still a fortress um, and uh, don't need to play at a neutral venue I think from the uh, analysis done of what's happened with the Bundesliga so far it uh, put scorn to that and the fact that yeah, the, the home advantage doesn't really exist any any longer I, I think um, sort of in relation to Adam's question as well I think so I think, you know, FBL, it's been really fun, actually. And um, I don't know um, if, it, you know, just playing that has given anyone an advantage over um, FBL because it's, it's a very different game. It's another form of fantasy game. I think you can you don't need to play the FBL um, to see what's going on in the, in the Bundesliga and, and what's happening with, with the home teams and the away teams. You can do that outside of fantasy. But I think, um, you know, maybe, maybe the likes of Tom rediscovering his hot hand with the, with the pressure off might um, mean that he can bring that to his FBL game again uh, um, since, since it's been lacking in success since we started the pod. Perhaps, uh, perhaps that will be a factor. But I don't know if there's anything else that we've really learned from, from playing fantasy Bundesliga um, that we can bring to our, to our FBL game. Um, I think same with the champ man. One of the things I have kind of learned um, is to throw off my like reliance on ownership because I honestly haven't checked it. Just done what I think is looks best like for my team, and I've done pretty well. I haven't done that well in champ man, but I've done that well, and it, it's kind of rediscovering that fun factor because a lot of the time it's decidedly meh, isn't it? Like sitting on the most captain's player and owning the most owned assets and wearing that template armor with a plum into battle every weekend. It's not fun. And it's been more fun to kind of have that kind of do or die, sink or swim sort of thing where you're, you're taking more risks. So, you know, I triple captain Veron for those people who've been playing Champ- Champman FPL the other week. And no one did that. And I got 57 points because he scored two goals in two games. That was, that was brilliant. That was such a great moment. Um, and in, in the Bundesliga, like, I've had a lot of like little moments like that that have just come through and I've, I'm doing all right. And it's nice to do that because you feel a bit more kind of, you feel the successes a bit more. I'm hoping I'm going to be able to throw off those shackles of like, oh yeah, whatever 
everyone else is doing when FPL returns. Um, but in terms of the data, I mean, uh, Anthony did uh, allude to this a second ago. There are kind of a, a lot of uh, a lot of data points which do seem to show that home advantage is probably going to be frittered away a tiny bit from the data I've seen and the data I'm sure Anthony's going to walk us through in a second. He's waving animatedly at me. You know, this lack of home wins is really going to have an impact on FPL, we think. Yeah, so we're four game weeks into that FBL season now since they've restarted. So 36 game played. And in that, 50% of the games have resulted in an away win. So that's a huge difference from your standard, which is about 36% of away wins across the rest of the season in the Bundesliga before now. And only about 22-ish percent are resulting in home wins. So that's down from about 42%. And you know the draws are obviously the remainder of that, which is just over a quarter. So you're talking about pretty remarkable differences but especially in away wins and so that as the guys were talking about that little h symbol beside a player's name doesn't necessarily mean that that's a greater reason to captain them more than anything we've also seen that you know a lack of sharpness and cohesiveness in defenses um, especially in the top teams you know that you might have expected more from so there've only been about 20 clean sheets off 72 possible clean sheets to be got so that's that's pretty low as well and we've also seen a spike in red cards so in the four weeks before COVID hit the Bundesliga there have been two and there have been seven in the four weeks since so is that all showing that you know the defenders are just being a bit more unfit and they're just having to dive in that bit more is it a lack of sharpness that they're mistiming their tackles either way this overall dip in intensity the stats bear it out tackles are down the passes and pass accuracy are up as well which i think definitely feeds into what people have been watching which has been often ponderous pass about games where there hasn't been overly taxing attempts at you know pressing and attacking pushing through defenses with pace i think otherwise so is that a lack of fans push egging teams on or is the lack of fitness hard to tell but either way i think it's something that we can expect when the premier league returns yeah i think that, that lack of sharpness i think is definitely going to have an impact we spoke about that when a little while ago didn't we and i found some stats from the trackademic um looking into this as well and they showed that only 50 percent of bundesliga's teams have maintained their pre-lockdown running distances and only 56 percent of teams maintain their pre-lockdown sprinting volume so we're likely to see lack of intensity overall i think we're very likely to see kind of friendly pace games we're not going to see what we're used to with the premier league and i think there's gonna be a lot of people uh, huffing and puffing blowing after 70 minutes and i think we're going to see a lot of those substitutions utilize them um but i mean really to bring us back to home and home advantage and current form i mean in terms of home advantage i think that we've got to be wary of like that kind of bias that heuristic we've spoken about to to look at that age um, and kind of think, oh yeah, that's how I'm going to decide things because maybe now it, it's a bit of a level playing field really. And it's, it's really interesting as well to think about all of the, the lower six clubs, we'll talk about them in a little bit, um, who are saying that oh, home advantage is so important. Is it really? Probably not, guys, actually. Um, but let's just to move on to previous form, so Lucy Heiner asks, given the break, is previous form irrelevant? I think that's another quite interesting one, isn't it? I think certainly that, you know, you, you can look at who was informed before um, COVID hit and uh, kind of ignore it to a certain extent. For instance, you know, like I've got players like, you know, Harvey Barnes as an example. He was in my team. He just banged in a hat trick. He, um, he was in the form of his life, this guy. But, you know, that, that was a long time ago. You know, since then, he might have had one too many pies or one too many beers in his evenings. Going to come back, no preseason, find his find a bit of a struggle to get back into that 
back into that current form. And I think that is that is obviously the concern. And then you, on the contrary, you've got players like Raheem Sterling, who was having a pretty um, shoddy uh, recent form, um, but started off the season uh, fantastically well with um, with a hat trick. And he he might be able to be a player that, to consider again when he was a player that we were all ignoring because he was out of form, he wasn't playing well. And then you've also got the injured players as well who are coming back as well who, who might be in uh, good form so I think yeah I think whilst you've got to factor it in you know like Bruno Fernandes for instance a player that was in form just come to the Premier League looking really sharp might still be able to maintain that sharpness and I know he's a player that a lot of people are looking at it's um, it's certainly something we need to consider here yeah no I, I think you're right Nick I think it's definitely going to be a little bit different um, I think now that kind of flow has been interrupted of, of form I think we're going to basically default back to how good quality teams are in terms of matchups and basically playing virtual FPL in real life and I think fixtures are actually become a lot more important as a predictor and there's a good few good examples of this of the fixtures remaining so United have a good run of games with only Spurs and Leicester um, of the remaining nine left I think maybe Sheffield United as well actually so six of the remaining nine games are really good games they play like West Ham Bournemouth Villa Brighton Southampton I did a little thread on them actually on Twitter if you want to have a look at that um, and Nick to your point about players returning Rashford is one I'm really going to be pushing probably next week but yeah I think Rashford's going to be really really interesting 8.8 the talisman returning also there's a reams of other teams with good fixtures so Everton for example have Villa to begin with and they've got teams like Norwich and Bournemouth to come in fixtures I actually bought uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin in lockdown for Jota this is born out in the Bundesliga as well. So um, before this week, of the eight three-goal victories since the Bundesliga returned, five have been won by current top six teams. The current top six do seem to be doing very, very well in Germany. Uh, there's a few kind of freak results, like uh, Wolfsburg beating a Gladbach 4-0. Um, but you know, it seems that sides with you know, the bigger playing and coaching staff are just able to cope with the demands of playing with the intensity that we're going to see. And... I think it's just going to devolve to kind of squad depth and squad strength. The better players are owned by the better teams on the most part. And I don't know, maybe it could even be more predictable. Now, one thing that we need to kind of, I guess, caveat on that Bundesliga uh, point that you just made is that the top five teams in the Bundesliga, so fifth is RB Leipzig on 55. To get to sixth, which is Wolfsburg, you're dropping down to 42 points. So there's 13 points between fifth and sixth in the Bundesliga. Whereas the gap between uh, Manchester United, who are currently occupying that fifth berth with 45 points, to 11th place, which is Crystal Palace, is just six points. So I think you're, you are seeing that there's a, just a much greater disparity between the quality of teams at the very top of the Bundesliga than at the bottom. And just I know there'll be some listener who'll be thinking that, so might as well just say it. But at the other side of things, okay, it will have been about 100 days between Harvey Barnes's hat-trick that Nick enjoyed and I died over at the time and the restart of the season. If I told you in a normal August that, oh, Raheem Sterling was good last May, so we should probably bring him in, people would look at you as if that's ridiculous. So I think that, yes, previous form has to be binned. And I guess tying in what you said, though, Tom, which is, you know, good teams are good and so they'll do better. And from watching the Bundesliga a bit, I've noticed that it's flair players and players with a bit of acceleration that are going to be getting a lot of joy or had been getting a lot of joy. So those accelerators, okay, it's kind of obvious, look, players are a little bit unfit they're less sharp so if you have a bit of pace you can get ahead and 
that might be an even bigger thing with all the excess substitutions that we're going to have. The flair players, on the other hand, they play into something which is that football, in defence in football now, is so about choreographed moves. You know, your wing back goes forward, who tucks in? Do the centre-backs move more narrowly? Is there three centre-backs? Where does the defensive midfielder go? The centre-back positioning to block is so insanely important as well about where they move. So even in parked bus defences like Burnley, there's a huge like amount of choreography that goes into where James Tarkowski is positioned at all times. And when that's just a little bit off, flair players who are good at getting past people and, you know, doing that low percentage play tend to get that little bit more success. So you're thinking you're maybe Adama Traores, for example, who kind of fits the bill on both of those points could be a really interesting player. And so it's, it is that previous form has been, but quality remains. Form is temporary, class is permanent, as they say. And maybe that's the resounding mantra here. Uh, very interesting to see how that works out. Maybe, you know, the, the sp- it could be a case of the speedy wingers uh, versus the intricate sort of uh, number 10s, maybe like sort of Emi Buendia or, uh, I, don't, I don't know, Bruno Fernandes, as you mentioned, could be, uh, it could be the men who come through. No, I love Buendia so much. That guy's just an absolute legend. Anyway, um, and that 100 days gap, is quite a nice segue into the injuries and rotation galore. I've missed a good segue so much. Um, but again, we're looking at the Bundesliga, for example, and FPL El Clasico and uh, Billy B-Dog, uh, FPL Dougal, asked, do we need a full squad uh, in FPL this is? And I think the resounding answer is yes. If we look at the Bundesliga, there's been so much rotation and injury and you know, loads of players just randomly no-showing. It, it's definitely worse than Chapman in some ways. And... An interesting kind of touch point, a comparison point I found for this actually was the 2011 NFL lockout. So you guys all know I'm a huge NFL fan. That's an absolute lie. I know nothing about it. However, it seemed like a really useful sort of touch point because there was a a pay dispute that year and uh, they were locked out from accessing any facilities for 136 days. So normally in uh, American football, I've learned 14 weeks is your preseason to get everyone fit, everyone ready, everyone roided up to go. That was cut down to just 17 days. Um, And in the first 12 days of training camps that were held, 10 players ruptured their Achilles uh, because of they were just not fit enough to do the demands that they were expected to in terms of the intensity. And within the first month of return to actual, you know, proper games, the number of injuries recorded was double the average typically observed over the entire season in the first month. So, we are going to see a lot of injury. We are going to see a lot of rotation. And as we've mentioned earlier, I think the intensity is going to be a little, just that little bit lower. It will resemble a friendly at times with some unfamiliar cast members showing up for the, the old reliables that we've got. Those are some pretty gripping stats when it comes to the NFL. I, I hadn't um, ever heard anything to say what to do with that. And that's, that's remarkably interesting. But I think as well, something that we need to keep in mind is this with the whole full squad dynamic is that, okay, teams are allowed five subs. Now, why is that important, you might think? Well, what I suspect is that we're going to see that making four moves and holding your one move in case of an injury or whatever it might be until later in the game will become the new two subs. I think by default, you're going to see four subs being pretty normal in games, you know, and probably using that fifth towards the end to give some 17-year-old kid a run out. And that is going to put a much bigger stretch on things. Just add all the other things to do with injuries and problems to it. And even just the new rule change is going to make a pretty big change. And I think the likes of your Mason Greenwoods and your Martinelli's and stuff will play into that. 
Yeah, exactly. And actually, um, from the Bundesliga, we've, we've noted that um, 89% of teams have used all five subs in their game. So those five subs are coming into play. And I've, I've seen a lot of them have been quite early in the games as well. We've seen half-time substitutions, you know, so something that we, we've seen from Marino, he's, he's potentially going to be doing a few of those. <laughs> um, half-time subs, Eric Dyer off at half-time or 32 minutes if he's playing poorly. I think that is certainly going to impact FBL and there's going to be a few frustrating managers uh, particularly with defenders that of course get more points um, if they stay on the pitch and have a clean sheet um, if they miss out on those um, elusive clean sheet points so you know from an FPL perspective one thing I've, I've kind of noticed is like you never really see centre-backs get substituted it's, it's always like going to be the full-backs or the wingers so that might be something that we need to factor into FPL um, so for instance with Manchester United for instance if you're thinking about which defender to target why not Harry Maguire he's going to be the man that's going to be playing those 90 minutes your Aaron Wan-Bissakas or certainly your Luke Shaw aren't going to be able to, to last the 90 minutes and get substituted early uh, potentially before that 60 minute mark so um, you know that's something that should be factored in yeah certainly I think um, I mean, we talk about the 90 minute men in the final section but it's definitely true that I think there's going to be a lot of emphasis on that and there's going to be so much disappointment isn't there there's going to be so much oh my lord like FPL generals going to have a field day yeah I was, I was thinking destroyed. about FPL generals but <laughs> I, mean, I was thinking about him as well, just because, you know, he always says, oh, yeah, let's we need to stay away from injury prone players. I think it would definitely be true of, of times like this, right? Where men who are famously made of glass, I mean, okay, maybe Danny Ings is uh, someone who's turned it around a little bit now. Um, but those sorts of players are going to be kind of under suspicion. We're going to be wary of them, which is also going to represent a little bit of an opportunity. Um, but equally, could, yeah, if, if you own a player like that, it, it might well be one that you'd be thinking about moving on. Uh, just one further stat here. In terms of the Bundesliga's return, pre-lockdown, there were 0.27 injuries per game. Post-lockdown, it's up to 0.88 injuries per game. So, yeah, we're definitely going to be looking at a lot of injuries. It's in, in line with what I've said about the NFL example. I think that players are going to be working their way back to fitness. And you are going to see, unfortunately, I mean, they're not like serious injuries, but like, you know, five strains, you know, groin strains, like just little kind of niggles, which keep players out for two or three weeks. Like, you know, Kevin Campbell, for example, from uh, Red Bull Leipzig and other cousins of mine, um, he came back for a couple of games and then probably has missed a couple just for having like little kind of five strain that's like, and a lot of players, they seem to be kind of withdrawn with that at the last minute, um, which definitely seems to be happening a lot. So, uh, I think in, in summary to injuries and rotations galore, watch out and it's going to be part and parcel of the game. I do think with the with the coronavirus, you're, I think it's just going to be normalised. Like I know I'm not trying to do down what's happened and do down kind of the severity of the situation, but I think we see it in Bundesliga as well with the football and the coronavirus. I think you're going to just hear a lot more, oh yeah, he's in isolation because he's uh, a member of his family's got coronavirus, so he's not playing this week. He won't be playing. He would be unavailable for a few weeks because... Um, he's got a suspected case or he's got a case. Like, I know they had no people like proof positive, did they? But I think it's just going to become more and more normal. You just well, see I it. think it's just if, if the whole club gets hit, a fixture could be cancelled and that is something to consider that there, there could be sudden cancellations. Say like the whole Liverpool team suddenly came out with Corona because it spread amongst the team. Uh, don't have your captain in, but... and vice captain playing in the same fixture. You know, like this, like you'd have, you know, we often have that when storms are coming into the, hit the UK or something. I think I captain De Bruyne and had, uh, had the vice on Aguero oh. that week. So yeah, that was very painful. <laughs>
Do you guys think there could be a cause to change how things work? Like, do you think we could maybe have a few more subs or like, how do you, how do you think we should manage the, to move on to the next point about uh, finding value? How do you think we should kind of find that value? Like, do you think we should have the bench players being a bit more expensive than normal? Like, you know, over Christmas, are we looking at everything being like Christmas where you've got so many games that you might as well invest in a beefy bench? I've been giving this a bit of thought and I think that what we're seeing regarding the clean sheets suggests that we probably shouldn't invest too much in good defences. So I'm thinking cheaper defenders and definitely giving centre-backs a little bit more of an airing than I usually would as well because wing-backs just are more likely to be subbed. Just the, you, you guys have touched on this, the rigours of the, the game now means that they're up and down the touchline all the time. Distance covers just by nature of it was going to make them more tired or more prone to rotation. Either way, um, less interesting to me. But then when you get into midfield, I think this is where obviously the goals and assists comes into it for us from an FPL point of view. And so, look, there are a certain number of out-of-position, really good players who are expensive at midfield that we can purchase. And then you can pick up these pretty decent strikers who come off the bench especially. I'm thinking again, to mention them again, your Martinelli's and your Greenwoods, who I think provide excellent value and especially now that bringing them on isn't as much of a cost and i'm using my air quotes again for the second time in the podcast to say that it's not as much of a cost for their managers to bring those players on just to give them a run out or just to change things up because look, you've got so many bloody substitutes anyway that you know your souls guys shouldn't be too worried about bringing on greenwoods and so i think there's value to be pulled from into midfield from the strikers because they're enabled almost by the rule changes one thing you probably should factor in as well, though, is obviously with the five substitutes, even if your man in your starting 11 is not playing, he, he's, he's likely and he's on the bench, he's still likely to come on for that three to four minute cameo. So you might have a strong bench that just is ultimately not utilised at all because you've got your, your one pointers in your starting 11. Oh, Unfortunately, it's not like a fancy Bundesliga where you can swap out players whenever you want to make changes. So there's very much an importance of a strong bench in that game. In this game slightly different, so you might have you might have your Mason Greenwoods, um, your Martinelli's on on your bench, and they might even get returns. And these guys are really good assets potentially uh, for the upcoming uh, future. Martials and people like that who played fifty seven minutes and got the one point. You're not going to be getting the uh, the Mason Greenwood seven points, unfortunately. That's true, and I think with at Chelsea especially, like they have a clone for effectively every player. You know, in the starting lineup, there's just there's an, an extra sub who's like about as good that they can bring in, and it's going to really affect them. So maybe investing heavily in Chelsea assets, especially, might be a bit of a concern. Yeah, um, having substitutes, literally in the in the economic sense, uh, having substitutes is uh, definitely something to to watch out for. I mean, moving on to the final bit, finding value in limited slash threatened minutes. Um, you know, FPL Physio asks, is it going to be maybe a case of consistent 11s with limited minutes, or you know, how's it all going to work? And we did speak about this. I mean, just imagine Pep Guardiola with five subs. Imagine the carnage. And you've got to be asking yourself, you know, with City players, if you've got 66% of their time being on the pitch lots of rotation, lots of sub-60 minutes threatening all. Like, is that value at their rotated price? Maybe not, especially if they've got nothing to play for. But, I mean, we have spoke about the 90-minute men a couple of times, and I, I did do a little bit of research into this. There have been quite a few 90-minute uh, men. You know, the likes of Harry Maguire, as Nick's picked up, um, one of the outfield players, James Tarkovsky. Uh, Virgil van Dijk um, has played every minute. James Ward-Prowse is the only, uh, I think the only midfielder. Oh, no, Declan Rice, uh, the ex-Irishman. So two midfielders and no strikers are in, uh, in the 90-minute man category. Um, after v- Virgil van Dijk, uh, either of you want to hazard a guess uh, who the second highest minutes played is for Liverpool? Um, well, that's actually going to be pretty tough. Henson? 
Wasn't he was injured, wasn't he? Injuries. Mm. Do you know what? It's TAA. He's played 97.7% of the available minutes, which I was shocked by. And I had to go through his data on the website, but he has. Yeah, he's played uh, 2,550 minutes. Um, yeah, incredible, really. Um, and we've also got players like you know, Man City, just there at that point I said about the rotation. The highest men's players is Edison with 85 available minutes. Uh, he's 73rd in the rankings uh, in terms of 90-minute men. And KDB, um, he's second for City, 76th in terms of 90-minute men with 83.5% played. So yeah, quite a lot of uh, interesting stuff there. And I just think, I don't know, it's going to be very hard to find the value. Maybe something we'll go into when we go into players more specifically next week. But I think, maybe in in common with the Bundesliga, trying to spot those players who are providing value for the money and value within the context of the rotation, the injuries, uh, everything that we've spoken about is going to be really key here. Like, hence the mention of the likes of Rashford come back from injury. Yeah. Nick, you love a bit of value. What do you think about value in the, in the upcoming uh, in the upcoming section? Of course, we'll talk about it a bit more next week, but what are your initial thoughts? We've always talked about the importance of value. It's one of those things that we've kind of, you know, rammed into the listeners' brains, especially those listeners who've been listening to us for a long, long time. And I think certainly during this um, heightened period of uncertainty, I think value is very, very important. And, you know, having a flexibility to have um, some good value players on, on your bench, you know, like we mentioned a few names, but, you know, others like sort of Todd Cantwell was a perfect example earlier on in the season, sort of a 4.5 million now, 4.7 million man that uh, was, you know, providing the points, but, um, you know, a, a cheaper price. And we talked, and I mentioned Sterling as perhaps someone to consider because of his, um, his form, well, his lack of form, but he might have his form back. But on the contrary, the fact that Sterling is so expensive and, and we don't know how many minutes he's going to be playing, he's, he's the kind of player that Pep would pull off after about 57 minutes to bring on Phil Foden, um, then that his um, his expensive cost is, is going to obviously uh, put us off uh, bringing in like a premium asset like Sterling, especially if we can spread the value elsewhere and um, spend that money elsewhere more wisely. I think for me, one thing that we should probably add to this thought is that, okay, the talisman theory is another thing that this pod has definitely talked about quite a lot over the past few years. And I think your talismen are, by virtue of their importance to a team, the less likely players to be substituted, rested, rotated, etc. And so maybe there is extra value being added to those Grealish type players who are just so important to their team that no matter what, they're not going to get moved. And so I guess your type your Grealish types who are very important and then you have your reliable types who, who do provide something extra and who are going to be there all the time and I hate that Mark Noble always seems to be my answer to everything but having a, a Mark Noble type player just sitting there getting his two points may not seem as ridiculous as it did if you can enable you to pick up your your strong talisman across your midfield across your strike force that are just less likely to go okay it's a slightly left field tactic for sure but definitely not one to discount as much as my initial thought it's, it's one of those where we're trying to kind of infer a lot of things because obviously we, we just don't know how the combat's going to be and sometimes you know we see this at the start of every season as well but like teams that look like they've got good fixtures or whatever like can be absolutely terrible I remember Everton a few years ago had a great opening under Koeman and they were absolutely god awful whereas you can have teams who you know look like they've got a few dodgy fixtures but actually turn out to be pretty good i remember i think it was west ham a few years ago we're, we're, we're in this sort of you're group. giving me flashbacks of owning theo walcott tom <laughs> <laughs> yannick balassi as well featured as oh god 
remember Hull City scored with like two bicycle kicks to beat Leicester who were defending champions in the opening day and Hull had, had about 13 players three days before yes. the game oh wow yeah I, I think it, times. no matter what happens if we're going to find a lot of people when you when you kind of have your team set and you have this template it's going to completely upend what's going on the one other thing to mention here in terms of the limited minutes is the weather and obviously a bit of a sad point and I looked at statista.com to look at the average temperature because we don't ever tend to play football in June and July it's actually three degrees warmer in June and it's actually uh, a jump of uh, six degrees from May to July, 18 degrees per day uh, in the south at least. In the north, I'm guessing it doesn't get above 10. Um, But I think it's probably worth just talking about that because is that going to have an impact as well on on longevity? Perhaps not, but it's it's a side point that I thought was quite interesting. It might have an impact on those those international players actually uh, from those warmer climates, the likes of the sort of Brazilians and the African players, and even some of the maybe the Spanish and Italian players we got in the Premier League compared to to some of the English players, because those players will have grown up and um, be used to sort of playing in in quite um, quite high temperatures compared to some of the English lads who are kind of more used to our cold and wet, windy weather. Um, so you know that might have some factor, and it's perhaps worth considering it. Yeah? I do throw throw my mind back to videos of Irish players melting at USA 94, of course, probably with 10 degrees of Celsius higher at that point than anything else. But yeah, I think Nick's point about your, let's say, players who are just used to playing in 30 degree temperatures, like we might get two game weeks with 30 degrees, but 25 or 22 or something might be something that will happen quite regularly. And your English players just won't be as used to it. They're on holidays in Dubai for that part. Oh. I've got some flashbacks of Gary Gary Cahill with um, with cramping in Manaus in Brazil, but it's not going to be quite as hot as that, perhaps. Oh my! Well, I, I've assisted myself with this segue setup um, because speaking of warm climbs, let's speak about going on the beach. Um, so FPL Paddy um, asked us if Liverpool will rotate when they formally win uh, the title. Uh, he used some other words to bait Liverpool fans, which I'm not going to go into here. And it's the question of motivation. And funnily enough. Anthony, this is the first podcast you ever came on WTA for back on Pod 35 when you came mm-hmm. on to talk about being on the beach and teams on the beach. At that time, I think my main point was I think Bournemouth will be on the beach. And <laughs> <laughs> I think you could almost say the same thing in about two weeks. If Bournemouth pick up two at the start, they'll be right back on the beach again. Ryan Fraser with his legs up all over again. Um, so, <laughs> But I think this is something that we've dealt with an awful lot in our FPL podcast and in every season there's always a clump of teams in the middle of the table who are pretty safe so really right now you're dealing with five teams perhaps who are at risk of relegation you're talking about Brighton who are two points above Bournemouth who are in 18th being you know in danger but then you're talking about going up to Southampton who are seven points clear so really between 14th and approximately well 10th and maybe even 8th if I'm being harsh on both of you actually because Spurs and Arsenal are both kind of a little bit adrift of the top six but or top four let's say or top five depending on where you want to see is Champions League qualification what are your thoughts on FFP and the rule of law in football um, but depending on what you think is the line for Champions League qualification you're still saying that within three game weeks let's say Spurs and Arsenal could conceivably be out of the race for European football and have absolutely nothing to play for for next season so I don't think the on the beach thing is going to be a huge problem bar a few teams like Palace, Everton, Newcastle, Southampton right now I'm not even sure if Nathan Redmond has any reason to get out of bed at the moment in truth but I don't think the on the beach otherwise should be a huge worry right now and for Liverpool no it won't they're consummate professionals 
it just does not seem like they're going to be the type. Sorry, I hate to like go the opposite on Paddy there as a fellow United fan, but that Liverpool team aren't going to relax. They're not going to leave this, as he said, tainted title. Uh, I wouldn't agree with that, but I think it would be tainted if they did go on the beach for the final few weeks of the season and kind of ruin their particularly good record that they've held all season. It would just be interesting to see how that, how it goes, really, with them, with City, who, as notion, as I mentioned earlier, have got nothing to play for. And um, what they do probably have to play for is warm themselves up for the Champions League in August. But during the next couple of months, what we're going to see, we're going to see a lot of rotation, maybe some transition, you know, the likes of Foden being given game time to really get kind of get his feet under the table in terms of that kind of taking out from Dilva positioning status to have. But I think you're right about the teams in the middle order. You know, the classic example is West Brom in 2016-17. I remember vividly they beat us, uh, Arsenal 3-1 and they became mathematically safe in, I think it's game week 29. I was with you that day, Tom. Yeah, yeah. We watched that together in a Marylebone. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did. And uh, they failed to score. Um, in five game weeks after that and they failed to win any of their last nine matches West Brom after they became mathematically safe um, so we might see that happen on the other hand it's the likes of Everton last year when they were mathematically safe they won five of their last nine games and Luca Dean particularly was on fire he scored 46 points in that period and Weedle sold into target double game weekers so there you go I think, I think we were definitely delving into men's souls again, weren't we, with motivation. We just have that interesting extra slant on it in terms of how things are. And just to tie that together a tiny bit, I'd mentioned my night's fixtures earlier on. But the race for the top four, I think, is going to be really interesting. Because if you look at the amount of the top six and bottom six teams opponents have to play, you have United, who have got four bottom six teams to play and just one top six team left to play. You've got Chelsea, who have got four bottom six and three top six Leicester with three bottom six and one top six and then on the other side of it Sheffield United are doing very well to be where they are but they've got four top six teams to come only one bottom six team and Arsenal four and four Spurs two and two and maybe that could be a way of informing your strategy maybe that could be a way of kind of thinking well you know what this motivation could be there for these players uh, for this team to be trying to push towards an objective as opposed to a Burnley who are safe a Palace who are safe not going to care about them anyway a lot of these teams that I've mentioned, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United, Wolves, Spurs, Arsenal, do have players in them who are going to be of real interest to us given the conversation we've just had. So maybe kind of eyeballing them and thinking about the context and maybe how you might restructure your team, especially if you get an unlimited wildcard, could be a good idea. I do wonder, just as an yeah. aside, if this is Jose Mourinho's last chance to kind of put himself back on his pedestal in the minds of Premier League fans that he's he's now lost all of his excuses they're not far off Champions League qualification in terms of points and they have got you know fixtures that they can win with the squad that they have and they don't have the players on their way injured they don't have players who are stuck on stuck at military training now like Son is coming back in better condition and shooting better than ever if we're to believe the reports so like Spurs actually might be one really, really, really interesting team to consider when this comes back. I think ultimately, I think every, every club is going to have that motivation. You know, these are paid professionals. Whatever inspires them, whatever gets them going, I think they are going to try and play their best. I don't think you're going to see too many clubs lacking. I know that there are um, certain players perhaps who might have concerns on their minds that could impact their performances. We've seen obviously the, the likes of Troy Deeney spoken out in the press about his uh, son's health and concerns around that. And that might mean, um, you know, some players do not perhaps have their eye fully on the game and they've got other things in the back of their mind and you know that's that's fair enough but I think um yeah I did have that point around Everton that Tom mentioned last season when we all saw Luca Dean and then he went on this brilliant brilliant run I think 
um, you know, there might be some clubs perhaps that once they, they are mathematically safe, like Crystal Palace and Burnley that do perhaps, um, you know, take their foot off the gas and start thinking about planning for the for the following season. And, and with Liverpool, once once they've won the title, you know, like I, I've heard people say, oh, yeah, they, they might be going for the records and all focus on the records, but perhaps with, with the Watford uh, game, that might not necessarily be Klopp's first thought again. He might be, again, thinking about the future and giving some um, minutes to the likes of Harvey Elliott or or Curtis Jones or, um, or or Nico Williams actually, who's, who's a, a young upcoming um, right back that could potentially um, challenge Trent for minutes every so often. And I know, and there's interesting Q and A actually um, with uh, James Pierce on uh, the Athletic, um, where he talks about some of the um, you know Klopp having high hopes for the youngsters and perhaps they'll get some additional minutes. So it might mean that some of our uh, key assets like Sadio Mane do come off um, a little bit earlier. You know, the 57th minute is it's, it's a risk, but that's a risk for, for all the clubs ultimately, isn't it? I do wonder with Everton, actually, to to focus on Everton for just a second. So are we saying that they're kind of just being harsh, using the wrong adjective, but are we saying they were kind of a bit spineless and that they couldn't deal with the pressure? And when the pressure was off and they were on the beach, they were actually able to play with more fluidity, to use like a, a football manager type cliche, and play well. So if they don't have the pressure of being in the race for the top four slash top five like they do now, and they're not under pressure from relegation, and they don't have the pressure from fans in the stands, Will a team that are kind of as Everton-ish as this current Everton team are be particularly enabled in this scenario? Will they, are they shy? Are they, are they just particularly good when no one's looking? Are they the ultimate tree that fell in the forest? Maybe. Uh, maybe. We'll see what Mr. Ancelotti can do for them. But yeah, that could all happen. Lying in 12th, middle of nowhere, they're safe, but not going to be challenging. Um, decent fixture on. Hmm. Why not? I think we'll definitely come back into teams and uh, players a bit more later on. Um, but overall, just to tie off this discussion before we go to the break, I think um, you know those three things that we've mentioned, uh, home advantage and current form being in the bin, injuries and rotation galore and the importance that we'll go into a bit more next week but just to give voice to it now of finding value in limited and threatened minutes that we're all expecting to see in uh, in football and by extension in FPL uh, very important things to bear in mind uh, ahead of when we're picking our teams slash making our transfers slash however we're dealing with the comeback and as I mentioned we'll go into the weeds of stats and in terms of teams and players next week all right let's take a break there and we'll uh, come back for the Q&A who got the assist who got the assist Hello, so we're back. And the first thing to talk about is the FCA nomination, not the Financial Conduct Authority, not the Ferengi Commerce Authority, uh, but it's the Football Content Awards. Um, now, we're not entirely sure how we've ended up on the docket because we did no campaigning and no lobbying whatsoever. But nonetheless, we, we find ourselves there amongst luminaries such as uh, Always Cheating and uh, Planet FPL. If you do want to vote for us, uh, you can go on to footballcontentawards.com forward slash 2020 dash voting. And um, well, if you want to out yourself as a listener on Twitter, hashtag nerdpower and vote that way. Um, you have to write, I'm voting for at WGCA underscore FPL in at the FCAs for hashtag best in fan podcast. You can find that online somewhere, I'm sure. Obviously, it's really nice to be nominated. I'm incredibly surprised um, that we were, given the fact we did absolutely zero canvassing. And maybe this is where my lack of a competitive gene or a, a lack of being able to sell myself very well um, outside of, you know, I'm more of a lead by example kind of person, the lead by kind of frozy exhortation kind of person, um, more of a David Beckham than John Terry, basically. Um, but I think our pod is definitely something that I'm very proud of. I'm sure it's the same for you, Nick. I'm sure it's the same for you, Anthony. Like we put a lot of work in and it's all been self-taught, be it the website and the IT and everything like that that Nick worked out 
way back when the production i hadn't edited a thing apart from a cd when i was 13 uh, before this um you know we've been doing it purely for lols at a loss i think we've lost loads of money doing this but you know we just do it because we love it um and really i think we the amount of work we do put in yeah okay we're not creating more than one pod per week but hopefully you'll see the amount of depth of care and and preparation that we do for each pod um and you know, it's really nice to kind of although we don't expect anything um and i in terms of anything like this it's genuinely a bit of a surprise it's nice for that to be recognized um but I am a little bit uncomfortable about uh, about about pushing it too much on Twitter, so I might do that too much. But if you do want to vote for us, then I've told you what, and we'll reiterate it later on. Exactly, I think you summed that pretty well, um, pretty articulately, Tom. Um, yeah, it's just an honour and privilege to be nominated, and yeah, it makes um, us feel that you know all this this hard work that we've essentially put in for the past few years, and it is a lot of hard work that goes into preparing and and performing, doing each pod. You know, we, we don't just kind of go on straight away and start chatting away. We we do a lot of analysis and preparation ahead, and you know, just putting all of that effort in. Um, it you know to to kind of be rewarded with this this nomination it is um appreciated so thanks for everyone who did nominate us and yeah as tom said if, if you want to to give us a vote as well um you can post on twitter as tom said or you can go on the football content awards so yeah thanks listeners for all the support and um and uh, the ongoing support that you've provided and I guess, look, if if Tom's considering himself a, a David Beckham rather than a John Terry in this regard, maybe I'm kind of like Harry Maguire when he was with his brother as a fan at Euro 2016 for most of this. I And then suddenly I've been drafted into the squad and I'm very much part of it. So maybe I can give more of a listener's perspective on why I think you should vote for the podcast. And it, and it is, I think, that it is quite obvious it was to me as a listener and as somebody who came on as a guest multiple times before I was a co-host, the amount of work that does go into the pod and the amount of you know like not only do the guys read a lot of articles to pull out stats and you know get whatever the hell the athletic and telegraph or whoever have said that week or whatever was on twitter the lads are often putting together their own spreadsheets their own data or at least mixing it up to try and you know pull something else out such as the talisman theory which is a completely you know wgta created thing and i think that look that's that's quite unique across the uh let's say across the FPL podcast spectrum, at least there's plenty of people that do things similar to that on Twitter. And I think that that's something that should be recognized. And I think as well, um, just the niche that the podcast maybe occupies within FPL Twitter podcasts as well. Everyone is brilliant. Everybody provides their, their different angle and their different opinions and their different uh, understandings of football from where they've watched it, how they've watched it and how they've followed it all their lives or through their short lives, whatever that might be. But I think how what WGTA tries to delve into the stats and give you a somewhat objective attempt, objective analysis of FPL and the players within it and it doesn't try to lead you astray with you know just a a pro spurs or a pro arsenal bias like the lads might you know could do if they wanted to or i guess i could give you a pro united bias too it isn't like that and i think that that's definitely something that you should consider as well is that look the we do provide a niche here and it would be great if you were able to support that and we really do appreciate that we've been nominated we'd really appreciate any support that you guys could give us on twitter or via the website Oh, I'm welling up. That's, that's very, very kind of you, Anthony. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, just just a reminder: the FCA's um, Football Content Awards dot com, all one word, forward slash twenty twenty dash voting. Um, yeah, I hope you will go along to the ceremony. Um, but yeah, no, it's a 
very, very nice surprise that we got the other day, that's for sure. Right, let's move on uh, without further ado to the questions. And we're trying to kind of kick the can down the road on um, looking at players and teams specifically. So there were a few really nice questions on that. Um, please just remind me next week about those if you have asked your question, because uh, I think I did message a couple of people saying, look, we're going to do this next week. Just remind me and we'll put them in as a priority next week. But this week's more about kind of the strategy stuff. And uh, well, there, there are kind of a couple of kind of top level question things, but it's not really what we can talk about too much. Uh, the first question is actually quite an interesting one off the back of the conversation we've just had. Is it it's conservative or aggressive? Um, so our mate Jeremy Lewis asks, uh, will it make sense to be conservative in the first couple of weeks back? You know, don't use chips, roll your transfers, because we've got no idea what players look like. Or, you know, Kitan Chopra said, you know, should we be attacking it? And Shiva at FPL um, asks, you know, how much should we kind of put into that double game week? And Andy Martin even kind of suggests bench boosting into that double game week so you know how you kind of start off when we come back are we going to be really fearful about the uncertainty and just think nah actually I'm going to be you know looking after my team here I'm just going to be rolling it basically doing the Nick Turtle strategy or are we going to be attacking it from the front foot what do we think without knowing the fixtures as an obvious context but how are we kind of looking to approach it at the moment I was just um, reading Andy Martin's question and he actually made me think it's not something that I had um really thought about in terms of bench boosting um, and I, I think that's certainly something that should should be considered considering it is a double game week and uh, like, like Tom said and like we said we don't know the fixtures yet so there might be more doubles down the line potentially but if that's the only double then you know it could be the perfect chance to use use that bench boost is something perhaps um, that should be weighed up especially I think I looked at my my squads and as I said, I'm pretty, it's pretty set up at the moment for this double game week, and I've actually even ended up with quite a quite a strong bench as well, with um, you know a lot of playing um, playing defenders and stuff. So um, yeah, I could be tempted to to do that uh, bench boost if it's something um, on offer. In terms of the wild card, um, um, as I said, I'm, I'm reticent to use it. I've got my wild card, I've got my free hit. A few people are talking about even using the free hit perhaps for the double game week, and, and you know that is. I think that's a, a very um, sensible strategy, depending on your team setup, of course. But um, you know, with my wild card, I don't really want to use it straight away, especially in you know, as we said, the form books out the window. We have no idea who's going to be fit, um, who's kind of fallen out of their manager's favours over the last hundred days, and who's going to be suddenly selected. You know, my wild card. And- Carl Walker, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Luke Shaw, maybe. <laughs> um, you know, as he said, it's been 100 days or so, isn't it? So, um, it is, oh, everything could have changed. We could see Martinelli being the new man at Arsenal and being a must-own. And if I've wildcarded, and um, it's cheap, so it doesn't really matter. But if I've wildcarded and I've got him in, then, you know, then I'll be playing catch-up with everyone else getting Martinelli. So, I think at the moment, I do prefer, actually, conservative or aggressive. I would probably say almost aggressive, to be honest. What? Surprising, surprisingly, even though I'm talking about not free hits and wild cards, I think you know, I don't think there's any harm in perhaps doing a two or three transfers, taking a few minus fours, shifting things around from your current squad, especially if there's no wild card, just to get everything in order once we kind of have that first game week and we kind of know the, the law of the land. Right. No, I, I see where you're coming from. The only the, the big curveball that I want to throw you away is this: the game week deadline is going to close on Wednesday there'll be midweek games right the, the first day back is a wednesday so come friday you'll have all the press conferences but the game will be locked <laughs> so you can have chosen your team only knowing maybe four teams what they can look like and the rest of the yeah. teams we can have no idea the scenes if one of those games is called off we are flying blind into that right 
that's, so, that's why I'm quite happy just with the with the team I've got set up. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't want a wild card and shift it around when I've got a, um, a team that look, look relatively reasonable. You Maybe know what? Jack Grealish like, could come in, it could be a few changes. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I mean, I was looking at um, Andy Martin's question. I completely kind of see where it's coming from and I completely see what people are saying with the free hit as well. Like, obviously, it's a great time and if it looks like there's no double game weeks, then mm, yeah, I can probably see why that would be a great time to do it. However, the fact is that information is really, really, really valuable right now. And as we're seeing for the fact we're doing this podcast and saying, oh, actually, we don't know that yet. We don't know that yet. We don't know that yet. So we don't know what we're going to do. Um, I, funnily, I'm, I'm taking a Nick position and saying, you've got to probably be fairly careful here and probably go into it without losing too much. Maybe use a free transfer and you know, get like some Grealish or you know, Ender Stevens or something in for, for that double game week because Sheffield United is actually pretty good. Um, but I wouldn't be kind of throwing the baby out of the bathwater on it. I wouldn't be going overboard with it and using a chip just because, as I've said, you're going to be not locked out on the Wednesday. And then Friday, there's going to be a whole room of presses that you are not going to be able to change your team for. Like, yeah, conservatism, I think, is going to be the key there, sadly. Unfortunately, we probably have no knowledge at that point as well when the deadline happens. We only met none of the managers have probably yeah. spoken to the press or anything. So dream scenario would be imagine if they turned those two fixtures into a blank game week of course they can't do it but imagine if we started with a blank game week and then moved off into the doubles and people had a wild card a free wild card going into a blank game week that was followed up by a full slate of fixtures within two days that would be unbelievable but to to pull back to the questions and Jeremy's question which was just talking about should we be conservative for a few weeks like it does depend and it, it always does depend doesn't it on where your squad is what rank you have etc like if, if you're me which is I think I actually don't know what rank I am anymore I think I was about 800k but I, I'm happy to say I could be plus or minus 200k on that like I, just just, just I'm not gonna, avoid it yeah just not avoid it here we go again um but I, I do think that I might as well attack this. You know, it's like, okay, do I think that the Raheem Sterling route is the right one? No, but a player like Raheem Sterling, for sure. I just don't want to deal with Pep Roulette, you know, Pep Roulette squared, I guess, is what that we're going to have with five subs and COVID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, I, I don't think I can afford to be faffing about for two weeks when there's only nine weeks in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, obviously it depends. I think it's just there's a few kind of things there to bear in mind the perspectives. I think the information is just kind of spooling all the way back to when we had Neil Murray on the, the very, very early preseason uh, Golden Rules, probably. He was saying that sometimes it's more important to to wait for information. Information be more valuable than 0.1. I think information is going to be just so valuable that maybe just if your team's in a good state, that's kind of part one. Um, part two is you're not too concerned about your rank. It's about 350 i think yeah, okay this could be a lot better but it could be worse and um, it could be worth just kind of sizing up seeing what kind of form where, where everything is given everything we've spoken about and uh, going from there but of course that kind of conservatism that reticence represents a huge opportunity for people like yourself anthony who are looking to uh, make a difference and could storm their way into a free hit or a bench boost i'm just i can just imagine it being a horrendous experience you know having that wednesday if that's if that goes well and on friday you hear you know pep saying oh we are going to rotate the team oh. and you, you hear like all sorts of like you know news and tidbits about players not being injured you know you you're your captain's got uh, has a family member who's sick, so he's out for a while, and oh God, it could just be an absolute bananas thing. So Maybe who that's was, who was at a barbecue at the captain's house? Because <laughs> check the Instagrams because they're not allowed to play, but they're not going to announce it until. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's not a tracing track's <laughs> going to work anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, it might just be that playing it safe for a 
just the short term might be a good idea just with the double game week using your transfers for that slash and the unlimited wildcard do get one um, and then kind of from there plan to be more attacking but you know there's only nine weeks so there could be value definitely what Anthony's saying about just attacking it just going for it YOLO after all right next thing um, differentials with our infos um, so I've said we're not going to talk about the players too much but this one was quite a juicy one to throw and I think that we can come back to next week a friend of the pod Late Riser um, asks for a differential each of us fancies for the return and why if I'm going to go first it's Marcus Rashford for me um, I picked him up in the um, in the United thread that I did um, still the top scorer for United he's poo but he's doing very very well and I think that people have forgotten about him to be honest, uh, because they sold him a while ago. Um, one really cool thing that I didn't realise until I did the bread was that Bruno hasn't ever played with Rashford and he's never played with Pogba either. So it's going to be really, really cool to throw them into the mix together um, and see what happens. United on FIFA are awesome, by the way. So maybe it could be worth, yeah, uh, it'd be really cool to see what happens with Rashford. Um, I've got Bamyang at the moment, so I could well do that swap either straight away just as a gamble or given double game, we probably after that. I think I've pretty much given my answer to this question already, but it's got to be Adama Traore, in my opinion. Um, just based on everything that we've... It's almost collecting all the threads of this pod, this whole entire podcast together and suggesting him. But it is really that he's a quick player, but he's physically... He seems to be someone who's physically in shape constantly. Like, you know, the preseason pictures are ridiculous of him. Mid-season picks are ridiculous. He's always in good shape. He's always extremely quick and a, a handful for defenders who are even at their full fitness, not to mine now. And then you put into that the fact that he's a flary player. He does the unpredictable thing. I think that's something that's going to be particularly good at exploiting less well-drilled and less sharp defenses. And he already had okay, we're, here I am doing the thing that I said exactly we shouldn't do. But he did have decent form towards the end of last season and had shown that he is a, now a good asset in fantasy football from the point of view that you can actually trust him to pick up goals. You can actually pick him up, trust him to pick up assists. And I think he was reaching the point where he was becoming too good to drop. I know now that said he, he was rotated a little bit, but there was, there was talk of injuries and niggles and things which have surely been ironed out at this point. And so I'd be hopeful that Adama Traore could be a very good pick. Yeah, I was, so I was wondering if, you know, the likes of Mason Greenwood, who's a player with like absolutely massive potential, might have um, grown significantly over those sort of like past six weeks and now have um, a case for, for a starting berth at United or increased game time. Obviously, with the Rashford, in, uh, Rashford being back, there might be more competition. But, you know, this guy's only 4.3 million, so 18 years old, but he's actually somehow managed 13 goals across all competitions this year with his diminished minutes. So, you know, there could be now the case that he may, has that breakthrough. And with the increased minutes, the increased volume of substitutions might mean that he does get that additional game time to now start really emerging as, as a footballer. And, you know, the Martinelli was the other one that we talked about where some of these players could suddenly really appear. And we see it every close season when the new season starts, these young players have pressed on and um, improved. And it might be his, his time now, perhaps. Um, other differentials, I think you mentioned Rashford, but, you know, the likes of Son, fresh from military service, could be very strong to consider. Or even, you know, Harry Kane or Pubisic as well. It's, it's kind of like open book again with a lot of these players that were supposedly out for the season. Yeah, it'd be great fun with that, I think. Uh, one thing with Greenwood is that um, Igalo signed a, um, an extension on his loan until January 2021. So, Best um, news in about two months. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he does love the club, doesn't he? I think it's, it's almost quite cute how much he loves it. Um, obviously getting paid a lot as well, but not as much as he was in China. Um, but anyway, with Greenwood, I remember remember at the start of the season, we were just like, come on, Ollie, play him, play him. We all had him in our FPL team, so he never played him. And with Igalo and maybe... Um, be, um, obviously with Rashford coming back with Martial in that number nine slot 
I don't know. It'll be, it'll be good to see him break through, obviously, for all sorts of reasons. His price in FPL, that's young English player, etc., etc. Uh, but I just would be worried about him. Martinelli, I really like the pick of, especially if Aubameyang um, doesn't sign that contract he's apparently been given today. Um, I think he is uh, probably the future for Arsenal next year. It could be really, really interesting, especially. Right, next question. Um, so, mini-league strategies. None of us are doing very well. I think, Nick, you're in the top three in our mini-league, aren't you, at the moment? FPL Booster uh, says, with overall rank out the window, potentially, uh, what are our mini-league strategies going into the final nine? Are these the things that we now care about? Mine is just try and accumulate as like as many points as possible. It's <laughs> ridiculous, but like <laughs> try to do better than the people who are ahead of me, which is most of the league. <laughs> so I, that basically means that I'll take those differential strategies. I think actually just you guys have really made me think that Spurs assets are pretty much going to be the way to go. You may end up, if we do get a welcome wildcard, as we've started to call it, then San and Kane into my side would be something that would be um, something that I would do. And I think maybe think about what Tom said as well, which is something he'd learned from Chapman FPL that, you know what, someone has just picked the best players, don't get too knotted up in who owns who. Like, in truth, I've long dissociated my pride from this season. Like, I really don't care where I finish at this point, but I might start to care if I was doing well again, put it that way. So I might as well chase that. Yeah, I think for me, mini leagues isn't something that I put too much focus on when I'm actually making my decisions and making my transfers. I think ultimately overall rank is just priority. But I think if you are in like a work league and you're considering, you're thinking about knocking knocking someone off their perch, I think what you need to do, if you if your ultimate goal is winning a mini league and you don't care as much about overall rank, then you've got to look at those differentials, consider who your big rival in the league, and you know, some of these paid league, cash leagues as well, who your rival is in your league, who they have, and and bringing players that they don't have and captain them. That's, that's, that's the way to get forward against your, your rivals in your mini-league. Of course, they, you know when it comes over rank, there's increased risk around this sort of strategy, which is why I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But if, if mini-leagues are gold, then do something like that. Shoot for the moon, basically. Yeah, no, I, I completely yeah. understand that. I, I think it depends how you mean how your mini league's done. Basically, I mean with ours, we've got monthly prizes and weekly prizes and stuff like that. I mean, if you want to make some, if you make some money through the monthlies and through the weeklies, maybe that could be something to aim for. You know, just build one week teams, things like that. Like, there's lots of different ways you can do it. If you find yourself as an FPL player who is in a work league, for example, right now with players who are casuals who happen to be ahead of you because you're having a season like me, I think that the best strategy you can possibly deploy is to just not email them to tell them that FPL is starting back up again and hope that you can beat their ghost team. That, that's probably the best strategy you can do. Based on the information we have right now, definitely. That's your best move is just stay nice and stum and just pick popular players and just try and get ahead of them if they forget. There we go. Cheat ourselves into victory. <laughs> yeah, and, th- and then just arrive with an invoice for your prize. Oh, that's, uh, <laughs> I can make a British politics reference there, but I'm not going to. All right, well, that's your lot for this week. Uh, yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? Uh, just a reminder again, if you like what we listen to, and, uh, well, I don't know about liking us, but if, if you want to back us at the Football Content Awards, nonetheless, um, you can find that footballcontentawards, all one word, dot com, forward slash 2020 voting. We're the best of fantasy football um, podcast. And on Twitter, you can write, I am voting for at WC underscore FPL in at the underscore FCAs for hashtag best in fantasy football. We were who got the assist. Uh, we will be back next week, uh, provided that everything, of course, continues as it is and the season isn't cancelled again. To go back into the weeds properly on the teams and players to target. Um, and Thomas will be going mad on the Twitter machine as well, putting out some hot threads. He's already got a United one out there for you to check out. And you should definitely keep an eye out for the rest of them. Cool. Uh, we hope this assists you. 
start to think about fantasy football again. Be yeah, back next week. Really good to be back. Uh, speak to you soon. Right. Let's go. Bye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.